0: Welcome to Popcorn Martini Soup, a movie podcast. I'm Jess. And I'm Anna. And we're your hosts, here to hang
1: out. And we
0: always end up talking about movies. Usually over a couple of martinis. Or a warm bowl of soup. Or, I mean, this week for us, a big bucket of popcorn, because we actually went to the movies.
1: Yeah!
0: It was so nice.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it almost... Yeah, so we... I finally had the chance to watch... Everything, everywhere, all at once. And I'm so, so glad that that I went to see it in the theaters and got to see it with you but it almost felt like i i almost kind of forgot i think i would have forgotten that we went to the movie together actually because <laughs> i was just so overwhelmed yeah. with emotions and i was i'm like what 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 just happened like my body my brain everything was like I, I i i need to i need to go home need
0: to process this for a few days
1: yeah i need to talk to my therapist mm-hmm. need to call my mom yeah need (laughs) to call my mom for sure. Um, All these, all these feelings. So yeah, I was like, oh yeah, we did go see a movie together. (laughs) (laughs) And it had to be like the most intense one. (laughs) Oh yeah.
0: This was my second time seeing it and we saw it with a few of our other friends. And as much as like, I'm really, really glad we did it. I'm also glad that I had seen it before and that this was sort of my second time processing it because Mm -hmm. I feel like for everybody who it was their first time, there were so many tears and so many like heavy emotions emotions which is exactly what that movie brings up like they did such a good job that it just like brings that up in you every time. I think I wrote on Letterboxd I was like there's nothing like processing your trauma in a theater with five of your closest friends (laughs) like yeah it's so good and so beautiful but it brings up so much emotion and that can be really heavy to do like in a public space with other people around.
1: I don't think I've cried that hard. Waves was the last time I cried that hard. I agree. Even after the movie ended, I was just like, I couldn't breathe. And I just it was still lingering on with me. It doesn't stop even if the credits roll and you walk out and your your heart is so heavy. And yeah, it's it's a lot. But yeah, it was still really, really great. I think it was also particularly like hard because I was already thinking about family and, you know, especially like mother daughter relationships and Mm. you know we our last episode we talked about like Pixar movies and we were already in that mindset of thinking about family and friendships and all these different things and Mm -hmm. um so when you start really thinking about those things I like really spiral and like get into it and that's all I really think about and so being in that headspace and then going into this this movie everything everything everywhere all at once I was like oh, okay, okay like I was already <laughs> vulnerable. <laughs> Way to drag my vulnerable heart. <laughs> like,
0: oh my gosh. Yeah, you're perfectly primed <laughs> to have this hit even harder.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I feel like I mean, maybe this is this is like part of part of the therapy of healing from that movie going into like <laughs> the more recent Pixar movies, which I think feels a little bit more complex to me than you know, the earlier ones that were just, you know, meant so, so much to us, but also there's a lot of nostalgia versus this is not as much nostalgia and Mm -hmm. we're a lot more mature and are adults and all these different things that happen in our life. We're kind of look like have that experience now watching these, I guess, kids' movies. Um, Yeah, we're
0: coming at it from a very different perspective with these newer ones because we're not seeing them as kids with that pure enjoyment um, approach We're we're a little bit more just naturally like critical and we have more experience that we're bringing to these movies and um, different like life stories that impact the way that we receive them so yeah I think that it's it's interesting to kind of compare those ones that are very like tinged with nostalgia to mm-hmm. what we're going to talk about today. So if you haven't listened to part one, which is our last episode where we covered OG Pixar, go back and listen to that first because it kind of will help give some context to the stuff that we talk about today. Speaking of everything everywhere and speaking of one of the most recent Pixar movies, Turning Red, there's a real theme going on right now of like, Millennials processing their family trauma through movies which I really appreciate and I think is like working Mm -hmm. really well but it feels like that's a lot to get into
1: yeah it's a huge fresh wound so um yeah I guess (laughs) therapy through Pixar movies (laughs) part two
0: (laughs) here we go (laughs) okay yeah let's talk about it great Okay, so we left off last time with... Toy Story 3, which was kind of a natural divide, I think, both for us in terms of timing, like when it came out in our lives and what it meant, but also because that was the last movie before the 2010s. It came out in 2010. It was kind of a a breaking point. The next movie that Pixar put out was Brave in 2012. I feel like thematically there's not necessarily a big shift, but we start to notice intentional, emotional beats from Pixar Mm -hmm. going forward here versus maybe Mm -hmm. the kind of i mean it's story writing they're all intentional moments but where the feeling i guess for us was like before a lot of the emotional beats felt more natural and more kind of earned and then you right there's sort of a shift into like oh this feels like an intentional manipulation of my emotions that sounds really negative and i don't necessarily mean it to be but yeah yeah yeah, no and so that's um that's kind of where we're starting today um brave is maybe a little bit of an outlier i don't know what you think about that yeah I, I liked Brave I think I've,
1: I've I think I've rewatched it a couple of times I really liked Brave because growing up in Japan specifically in Kyoto um, where like I lived kind of like sort of in the suburbs so I was like surrounded by mountains and I live by a river so like I felt like I always as f- from when I was super young like I had a strong connection with like nature growing mm. up and then plus like I was also surrounded by like temples and shrines and um you know shrines specifically they have like animal spirits or like gods I guess which Ooh. are dedicated to like a purpose um, usually for like healing or granting wishes and stuff so like combining those two things that I kind of you know grew up with and was surrounded by um, and also like my obsession with Ghibli films uh, Mm. since I was like in kindergarten um, I feel like we talked about this in our last episode but like my love for films like Song of the Sea and Wolfwalkers which are obviously like recent animation but Mm -hmm. um, including Brave they all center around like self mythology, English or Irish folklore, like all of that, just it kind of feels like it speaks my language Mm -hmm. Um, and it taps into all of my like childhood emotions and and nostalgia and all of that. So I don't know all the all these emotions that I still have trouble finding the words for and somehow like these spiritual things like really make sense to me. Um, So I think that's why I had like a more of a connection to Brave compared to like maybe some of the other newer movies.
0: Yeah that makes a lot of sense. Brave really does. It's interesting. It sort of feels like to me a little bit less Pixar although it has a lot of the kind of hallmarks that we were talking about of Pixar movies where it is very family centric and there isn't this like heavy emphasis on romance but it it does kind of feel like it fits into the Disney canon because Merida does sort of feel like one of the more modern Disney princesses even though you know her her arc is not romantic. Um, You could say the same for Anna and Elsa in frozen right there you could tell that they're both kind of headed in that direction but also brave does really have that sort of ghibli-esque feeling to it it's it yeah. feels very like not of this world and i think that that does kind of set it apart from a lot of what pixar does and we were talking last time that that pixar has focused a lot on non-human protagonists as well mm-hmm. and you know there yeah. is some of that with the bears in brave but we f- are following merida who is this mm-hmm. young woman the whole time and it just it feels like yeah Little bit different from some of the other stuff that Pixar was doing, but also mm-hmm. fits in really well with sort of the canon of animation at the time. Yeah.
1: I also like that they showed her mom being imperfect as well, even mm-hmm. though she was projecting perfection onto her daughter. Yeah. You know, even like I remember the moment when she gets really, really upset and tears the tapestry, but before that, I think she, like the mom, takes away her bow and throws it in the fire. Um, Mm. So it really, like, pushes Merida, like, uh, to the edge and runs off and but after that like the mom like takes it out of the fire and she's like oh my god what have i done like Mm -hmm. and we we talked about this i think with like uh finding nemo from like that dad perspective like it's it's interesting to see parents being vulnerable and being human it's not like a kid versus parent and i i always appreciate it when there's a bit more like complexity than just like a flat you know, kid versus the world,
0: you know? Yeah. And like talking about this is making me reflect a lot on Turning Red. I feel like there are so many parallels and we'll get to that later on um on its own but there are so many parallels that i didn't really put together because i hadn't thought of brave in such a long time yeah the whole time you can tell that like in these mother-daughter relationships there's always that love there like they always love each other they always want to try to come together they're never Mm -hmm. abandoning the relationship it's just Mm -hmm. that it's really hard sometimes to find that way to come back together yeah. So the
1: next movie that comes out, I think it's 2013, um, is Monsters University.
0: We may have mm-hmm. skipped other, I don't know, was there like another Cars? There, We skipped Cars 2 before we jumped into Brave. We, we have acknowledged we will yeah. also be skipping Cars 3, just a heads up. <laughs> this is um, a universe where Cars doesn't exist. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um,
1: so Monsters University, do you have any feelings about this? Because
0: I, I didn't. It just like went right past me. Yeah, I mean, it definitely didn't have the impact that Monsters Inc. did. I think that they really tried to capture some of the spirit of it, Mm -hmm. but not that Monsters Inc isn't a comedy because it is but Monsters University feels much more like a comedy you know the heart of it is the friendship between Mike and Sully and how difficult it is when your friend is is doing really well and like and you feel kind of left behind or out of place but the other movie that I think of when I think of that theme is 21 Jump Street right which is also like very much a comedy I love that you connected this with 21 Jump Street (laughs) Again, like so many more ties that I didn't think of originally, but that are like coming to me—that those movies are actually very similar.
1: Yeah, that's so true. Twenty One Jump Street is so good. I love that movie. movie.
0: (laughs) And Twenty Two Jump Street is also really good. So we need to have a whole separate discussion about sequels. Yeah, Twenty Two Jump Street is a top tier sequel. It is. It yeah. Yeah. So I feel like we are acknowledging Monsters University. We are thanking it for existing as what it is because it's a great time. But
1: yeah, we can move on. Um, I think the next thing that we want to talk about was Inside Out, which is 2015. Right. I have a few things about this, about this movie. I know it was really, really popular.
0: Inside Out was, yeah, really well received. It's funny because I think that after, like, Monsters University is obviously Pixar, but like we said, it it wasn't, you know, a, like, big splash, big emotional movie. Brave before that didn't really feel Pixar the way that a lot of these other movies feel like Pixar. Mm -hmm. So I remember thinking when inside out came out that oh like people are talking about pixar as pixar again like this was kind Mm. of a movie that made people think and like reinvigorate like the pixar conversation because it does feel like a very pixar movie yeah and it also kind of feels like this new phase of pixar Mm -hmm. and i think that's something that you had some thoughts on
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because I know
0: you didn't love this movie, right? And I think that's maybe tied to some of that new wave, if we can call it, like new wave Pixar.
1: I I just didn't, I I don't think it's a bad movie, but I didn't have just like a deep connection with any of the characters, to be honest. Mm. I wanted to make the point about, like, I've been thinking about why and whether it had to do with the fact that I haven't gone to therapy at that point yet. And (laughs) like, I'm just so out of tune with my own emotions. But um, no, like, even if I rewatch it now, like, I just feel like it's too on the nose when emotions are drawn so literally. Mm. Here's character. Here's a character named Joy, who's all about joy. And then there's what? Right. Fear, anger, disgust, and sadness. You know, I, I actually feel the same way about um, Soul, where, like, uh, mm. the movie that comes out a little later, too, and it kind of feels like yeah. in the same universe, but like, how souls and sparks are drawn so literally. And I just feel like a lot of the films that points to all the themes that this movie goes through, I think it's so better told through a movie like, I don't know, like we've talked about like Finding Nemo or like even the Mm -hmm. first Monsters, Inc., like Ratatouille, like characters that are just living their life and all these different emotions are existing there. It's just not pointed and it's not like centered around that. But we're following these characters So that's what I meant in our last episode is it feels like Pixar is spoon feeding me what i'm supposed right. to understand with all these different like complex emotions that people or a rat or a monster or a robot <laughs> has you know what i like i understand a, card- a counter argument to that absolutely because they start like joy starts as joy but then understand sadness and like sadness like understand like there's so there's absolutely right. that development of these characters that just doesn't boil them down to what they're supposed to be But Mm -hmm. even then, I'm like, I'd rather see a rat and a person, like, go through, (laughs) figure out, like, cooking soup and figuring out like values of life while doing that does that make sense right
0: yeah it does I think there was something very different when it first came out about this sort of literal representation of emotion mm-hmm. I think the longer that I have spent with it the more it does feel like it's a little bit prescriptive mm-hmm. it's not building a story that you then like go and inhabit and live in and learn from yeah it's building you like a pathway yeah that says like right. these are the that you have to hit these are the emotions you're going to feel as you're making your way through this right
1: i will say though i do understand that this opened up a whole conversation around being tapped into all those emotions too and that a lot of people maybe don't have and i don't either so like i appreciate i appreciated that for sure but it just didn't do
0: much for me we have high expectations now (laughs) we have standards (laughs) (sighs) okay so we are skipping another pixar movie sorry we're skipping the good dinosaur oh sorry sorry to good dinosaur fans um i haven't even seen this one it could be a really wonderful movie
1: yeah we just are okay with um land before time in terms of dinosaur (laughs) kids movie content we got our fill (laughs) yeah the next one i think in the timeline is Finding Dory? It is. 2016.
0: Yeah, so we're moving into the middle of the decade. This is around the time that Disney put out Moana, so we're really on an right. like, ocean theme this year.
1: There were really, really cute characters that got introduced. They're so brand new, but there was also something that felt really familiar because we knew from Finding Nemo and it's like still in that same universe like the animation Mm. feels a little bit different to me I don't know I'm not like an animator so I could not tell you but there's something that feels a little bit more like we're in the future now Mm. um but but still like there's that familiarity and yeah it was really cute I don't I don't think that I had like A really strong connection to this one either Um, I just kind of remember that it was like really really beautiful it was also there's so many like good comedic moments as well Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah how about you
0: no I I agree I don't have the same kind of emotional connection or attachment to that and I have been thinking a little bit about that even just as we've been talking and like where that is coming from because it's not that I don't form emotional connections to animated movies as Mm -hmm. an adult because some of the other ones that we'll talk about today I feel pretty strongly about emotionally and also like we've talked about Ghibli so many times but I didn't come to Ghibli until I was older I didn't experience it as a kid and I feel very strongly emotionally about a lot of the Ghibli Mm -hmm. movies so I'm wondering what it is that isn't quite connecting with some of these sort of mid timeline Pixar movies I feel like I am deep in therapy oh we have gone downhill so fast i am so sorry <laughs> when, you, when your
1: therapist asks okay. asks you like L- let's let's pause on that <laughs> and I'm it's like, like uh
0: no why are we wh- pausing let's move. why on. do i not feel joy anymore <laughs> I'm kidding. I do. <laughs> yeah,
1: I don't. I don't know. I I don't have much to say about about this one too. Like it kind of. It's funny. It kind of feels similar to like a Monsters University as well. I think Finding Dory was a little bit more kind of captivating for me compared to um, the Monsters University. I think the first ones for these were way too. Sp- strong. Obviously pic- Pixar has done a really great job with like sequels, but it-, it just doesn't feel quite like there. I mean, it's it's not bad. It's just like the standard is so high
0: with Pixar. So, I think it's yeah, o- maybe, I think it's okay. <laughs> maybe that's what it is that Pixar just set such a high bar for these like sequel type movies that they can't all possibly live up and it doesn't mean like you said that they're not good movies because they are but you're you're just not going to emotionally connect to every movie in that way and maybe I'm being a little too hard on myself by expecting that from every single one
1: so I'm actually really excited to talk about this next one which is Coco from 2017 Mm. because this I loved Coco so much love
0: Coco so beautiful so heartfelt you can you can feel the like family struggle and the emotion come through in the entire movie but it it is never like overwhelming or inaccessible or too much yeah
1: so I mean not to keep bringing up like personal stories to our session today (laughs) (laughs) um I mean I definitely have a soft spot when there is some kind of you know this is so family centric as well they all are but especially the fact that it's set in um, the Day of the Dead and Mm. we have something really really similar in Japan called Obon which is like one of the biggest like Japanese annual Buddhist event Um, and it basically like We commemorate ancestors so they like come back during this time and growing up like i during this time i we would we would visit my grandpa and my grandpa lost his wife uh my grandma before i was even born so i knew about my grandma um through my grandpa's stories and a lot Mm. of the times those stories would come during this time of obon festival I guess Um, so anyway there were just like so many um, connections for me with the Mm -hmm. Day of the Dead and like they're all coming back and it's just like all the food being prepared and um, yeah it's it's kind of like it's kind of like Mulan as well like it's just there's something about like Connecting with the dead, connecting with ancestors and like making sure that they're all happy when they're back because you can you almost can hear them like just whining in your ear, even though they're dead. It's just like it feels like they're alive and like they are through like stories and stuff. So um, I really I really, really connected to that, like um, spirits returning to the world um, and and visiting relatives in such a literal way. And it was so beautifully depicted in this and it's really funny the way they the the families coming back relatives coming back the way they set it up felt so real because that's how I imagined it too where Mm -hmm. like as a kid I'm like if they do come back then I imagine it to be super loud and super chaotic, and it's not really, like, a cozy moment because I think people tend to think about it that way, but, like, family's so chaos and so annoying, and (laughs) I think this movie just captured that so well, you know?
0: Yeah, I loved the way that they like animated that and depicted that and how it was sort of this bridge between the spirit realm and the world and they would cross over on the day and like just surround their family and like take over this space and if you could see the skeletons you would be bumping into them everywhere because there were so many people just flooding in it really felt like such a celebration of Mexican culture and of the day of the dead and it was so like embracing of it there there was never sort of a moment where it felt like it shied away from like oh is this going to be too mexican is this going to be like too niche or specific for like Mm -hmm. general audiences to understand it felt like Mm -hmm. it really embraced this like we're going to lean in to this very like culturally specific moment that mm-hmm. people from other cultures will connect to because they have their own version of this or totally. they have this other way that they honor ancestors that they'll understand what we're doing here. And I just loved how emphatically they were like, no, you're going to enjoy this like super Spanish-Mexican holiday. Mm-hmm. And all of the ancestors that you get who like have their own little quirks yeah. and... you you, they're exactly the way that you've heard about them yeah and it's just it's so sweet and it's so yeah embracing of like the power of storytelling and this is how you keep those people alive yeah I I really loved it I mean like speaking of families that we fell in love with the Incredibles hello Yeah. yeah I mean I talked so much about how much I loved this family and how much I connected with it yeah
1: how'd you oh yeah so how'd you feel about the second one
0: I mean, I feel like I was set up to like this movie, you know, even if it's not one of my favorite movies or even mm-hmm. like one of my top Pixar movies, I mm-hmm. wasn't not going to like it, especially because Brad Bird was back mm-hmm. directing and writing. And I just think that he does excellent work all the time. I, I was just like so excited to get to spend more time with these characters, especially so long mm-hmm. after the first time. Yeah cuz there was such a big gap between 2004 and then this coming out in 2018.
1: Yeah, my my partner Jamie and I went to go see it in the movie theater cuz we're both obviously big fans of the first one. And we have like the humor of literally a 5-year-old, so like I know <laughs> this was this moment was like a favorite for many, many people cuz we saw a meme of this like all everywhere. But like Violet shooting water out of her nose was like pure geek (laughs) humor it was like it was so good i loved it and i feel like that's that's the that's the like energy of what the incredibles was the first one Mm -hmm. too and yeah it was so it's just like so fun but also really sweet and heartwarming and um yeah I also love that like Elastigirl had a Elastigirl had her moment um you know being being the kick-ass mom that she is and and then Mr. Incredible being the being the dad at home it was yeah it was cute
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think that's one of the things that I love so much about these movies is they're so balanced like this is a family of five, and Jack-Jack is a baby, so he is, you know, not a full-fledged person with a personality yet, mm-hmm. but even he gets his own moments. Yeah. But, like, each of these characters are treated as full people who are living their lives, yeah. and obviously they're a family, so they all intersect, and there are ways that they all come together, but you get a true sense of who each of the these characters are each of the members of the family and they're not like none of them are treated like an afterthought or mm-hmm. like a, a side character like they all share the spotlight in both the movie and in their life like their lives within the movie and I really like that about it
1: yeah so love that we had a good one with Incredibles too, and then here comes <laughs> here comes Toy Story 4 which is in 2019 Mm-hmm. You have some thoughts
0: on I, uh, Toy Story Four, don't you?
1: Unlike you, I am so lazy on Letterboxd. It's not even funny. <laughs> it's so bad. But this is one of the very few reviews I wrote, and I say reviews. It's not really a review. It's just like <laughs> it's a shit post. Yeah, it's a shit post, and that's really all I do. I only have like twenty shit posts. Um, <laughs> I still stand by it. So I'm gonna read it real quick. Is that okay?
0: Absolutely. Please do.
1: Okay, so I wrote, this is what happens when people are greedy AF and want more sequels and Disney's like, yum, money, and everything is ruined. (laughs) I hate people. Woody would never, I mean never, abandon Andy like that. Now I want a plot twist sequel where Woody was actually possessed and cancels this movie. I hate myself.
0: Period. (laughs) Okay, now tell me how you really feel. (laughs) Oh my gosh! Yeah,
1: no, I, I, I mean, you, you know, I. It's like I love just kind of like sitting in, in hating on this movie, but truthfully, like it, it's, it's not a, it's not a bad movie, and there's a lot of nostalgia to it, yada yada. I get it, but I feel like this movie. Is it just me? It just it feels like it goes against all three movies that came before it.
0: That's a super fair criticism because if you spend three movies worth of runtime building this character like woody is central to all three of the movies that come before yeah he is the one who like brings us into this world and we essentially follow him for so much of this uh this franchise you feel like you know woody you never ever want a movie that is supposed to be a continuation of that feeling to turn on you and for that character to all of a sudden feel unfamiliar and foreign and not who you have known for this whole time so that that is a really jarring experience to have
1: yeah especially because we've talked about in our last episode too how consistent they are in Mm -hmm. this character and the way andy is and there there's a consistency that's there's always something building but there's at its core There's these values that are, like, centered around all these different chaotic things that happen around Woody's life in particular and all these different characters. And, again, like, I understand that, you know, people move on, we get rid of toys, and Bo Peep is one of them, and Bo coming back was, like, a huge, huge part to, I remember, the conversation that was happening as this movie came out, and we were all Mm -hmm. so excited, and, spoiler alert, but... The fact that she comes back as this badass. Love that story arc as well. Like, it's it's so great. And, like, this broken toy that she's become but came out of it stronger. I love that. Mm -hmm. But Woody chooses to then leave with her? Like, who are you? (laughs) I am suing them. (laughs) What's the... What is it on Rotten Tomatoes? I think it's, like, pretty high, though, right? Still?
0: Yeah, Toy Story 4... Is 97% fresh and 94% audience score.
1: (laughs) Am I the only one who's just like upset about
0: this? (laughs) Like, am I crazy? (laughs) I don't know. I would be really curious to hear if there are other people who are on your side on this one.
1: Yeah. I can see how some people might say that, you know, even Woody has to change. This was, like, a pivotal moment for him to, like, move on and realize Mm. or whatever the hell. And (laughs) whatever the hell. (laughs) Respectfully, whatever the hell. (laughs) But, like, I'm sorry, but they did not develop Bo as a character strong enough to make that as a catalyst for Woody. Because, like, Mm. Bo was, for the first one, was only written as, you know, like, the girlfriend that's, like, flirty. And, like, Mm -hmm. they, they didn't give enough substance for beau and so all of a sudden it feels like they've taken a female character that was taken off and they said Mm -hmm. you know what we're we want to develop this character because x y and z and love that i get it but then she she's just like this like she's this she's broken she her heart is so broken because she was left behind and she went through like trauma essentially Mm -hmm. and then like i really really think that woody should have been is the type of character as we know him to bring back Bo and heal her and like work that out with her and be there for her not run away from your problems with her like who the fuck anyway okay yeah so I've said everything let's move on (laughs) (laughs) just had to get that off your chest (laughs) I just had to get that off my chest there are other (laughs) things we want to discuss so we can move on but yeah that that's yeah how I felt I'd love to know If anyone else felt this or if anyone felt really opposed to that either. Like, I'd I'd love to know.
0: Yeah, please share with us your most controversial Toy Story 4 opinions. (laughs) We need to know. (laughs) You can reach out to Jess instead if
1: you feel like I'm going to fight you. Because I (laughs) know. The next thing on the timeline, I think, is Soul 2020. So we are
0: skipping Onward, which
1: came out early 2020.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Soul is an interesting one because... As you mentioned earlier, it shares a lot of qualities, I think, with Inside Out. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of very fair criticism. Um, I would direct you to read some Black reviewers' thoughts on this about how it seems like Pixar has a trend of taking non-white characters at Pixar and Disney Mm -hmm. taking non-white characters out of their bodies and like turning them into something Mm -hmm. else yeah for the course of a film right I mean not that the little like soul blobs aren't cute and not that there isn't some really great voice work being done here but it does sort of lead to I think this like disconnect Mm -hmm. between the story and like the audience and how you can really feel what's happening
1: yeah I think ultimately this movie like uh 22 and Joe um Mm -hmm. the main character they realize that like spark the spark isn't just um about like purpose but it's about like having intention um Mm and living and I I get it it's beautiful but I think it would have been much better if we just had an insight into joe's life we didn't have to actually look at a soul in the very cute like <laughs> soul body. literal form yeah yeah but yeah. i will say that I-, I was personally like really really excited about this because of the jazz connection um i grew up listening to to jazz as a kid and Um, I I read that, like, Herbie Hancock was um, part of the conversation in in making this film and keeping it Mm -hmm. sort of, like, as jazz as it could be, and he is, like, the greats in in the jazz Mm -hmm. world. So, I don't know, I was really, really excited to hear the music and feel the music, but, like, there's something that feels so disconnected when you're pulled into this, like, blue blob world. (laughs) (laughs) Which is kind of maybe contradicting to what I'm saying with, like, connecting with a fish or like a rat like I don't know it's it's so strange
0: yeah I'm not sure what it is that keeps us from I'm not sure what it is that makes something like a fish or even a monster Mm -hmm. um which is like at least a fish, like, we are familiar with fish, but, mm-hmm. like, the monsters from Monsters, Inc. are completely made up. They are still somehow, like, more emotionally available to us. And I can't tell if that's maybe, like, if that's us or if that's something that's happening in the writing yeah. of these movies. But it sort of feels like they are writing this with a lot more, like we we were talking about with Inside Out. There's a mm-hmm. lot more, like, direction that the movie is giving you. And a lot more, like, here is the point we are trying to make with, like, a real intentionality versus here is a story and kind of, like, we will we will push you in a direction, but we are not going to take control of the car and mm-hmm. park you there. And, like, I don't know, it feels a little bit more forceful yeah in these movies where it's like, this is the point. Yeah. One of the things, though, that I did really love about Soul that really falls into that category is... um terry and the jerrys i thought they were so fun terry in particular who is voiced by rachel house who is an actor from new zealand i just the like deadpan like serious sort of like scurrying nature of terry i adored yeah i just thought that was so fun and like yeah those are characters who completely don't make sense in any kind of like human or human adjacent world but for some reason they really worked for me and I think that they were kind of like the comic relief characters and maybe that's why yeah I just I loved them
1: yeah okay let's move on Let's talk about Luca. (laughs) Yeah. So Luca came 2021. Also, before we get into it, I almost like added Raya and the Last Dragon in here. And I was like, why? Why do we miss that? And I was like, wait, that's not Pixar. It's
0: not Pixar. Yeah, I know. I get so confused. (laughs) overlap between them nowadays. It's like, wait. Yeah. So what'd you think about Luca? Before I ever saw Luca, it was pitched to me as call me by your name, but animated fish boys. Mm -hmm. And I was like, first, what? (laughs) And second, sure, Mm -hmm. I'm in. And that is basically what it feels like. I love the animation style in it. It's a little bit like brighter and more simplistic. Mm -hmm. And I think it works really well for the kind of story that they're telling. Um, Italy looks gorgeous in its bright animated form yeah and and this feels like this almost feels like an older style movie where it's a much more like simple straightforward storyline. There isn't all of this like extra metaphysical meta textual stuff yeah. coming in yeah it's just like these two boys and the family and a dream. And this weird sea creature human curse thing that keeps him from achieving what he really wants and like living the life that he wants to live. And that feels like such a classic animated story. Yeah,
1: that's such a good point.
0: I really liked it. I thought all of the characters were so sweet. And I love I mean, we know that it's subtext because Disney refuses to make an actually gay movie. But I love that, like, whether it is genuinely just friendship or whether there is something more going on there, the connection between these two boys is so pure and so wonderful and so genuine and, like, really comes across that way on screen. And, like, I think I like it more the more I think about it. Like, it's one of those Mm. movies that I really had, like, a... I I had such a good feeling while I was watching it and I enjoyed it so much. Mm Um, And I don't usually think about it as like, oh, this is like one of my favorite Pixar movies. Mm -hmm. But then when I reflect back on it, I'm like, oh, yeah, Luca was like a really sweet, lovely movie yeah I, I really liked it as well I, I love the way you
1: described how simplified I mean you put it in <laughs> but I'm not gonna try to describe what you just said <laughs> um yeah I really I really felt the same way as well I appreciated how kind of straightforward it was but then this kind of like relationship between the two boys but also the girl as well I'm forgetting her name Julia. I did appreciate that like a lot of the Pixar films that came before this were centered around duos but this like trio energy even even though I I, I guess yeah like the two of them are the main guys I get it but like I, I love the trio for sure.
0: Yeah there is something really special about having Julia in there as well and having her kind of be this like mediator but also the person who like gets them out of their shells mm. like makes them feel safe in this brand new place yeah. and she is the, the there's this quick bond that they all are like okay yeah like we can we can do this mm-hmm. the boys who are not used to living on land and don't know where they are feel safe with her and feel excited and um yeah it's it's a really special friendship that never feels uneven mm-hmm. or like one party doesn't fit or is belittled even though they are very different people and like two of them are sea monsters and one of them is not. Yeah. Like that is a really great dynamic that you're right, I I don't think we see all that often.
1: Well after all that, we'll talk about it at the end. We're finally at the end where we can <laughs> <We've>, actually <laughs> talk about turning right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where do we begin? <laughs> now that we've we've gotten here. Um, first of all, like, just the easy, sweet things, um, that maybe we can start with is, like, all the Toronto references that were in there, and we were all just very
0: excited about that. (laughs) Yeah, that was so fun. It's more rare than I think it should be to have a movie be set in Toronto and like acknowledge that it is Toronto. I think Um, like we talked about, I mentioned The Kid Detective before where it had Toronto landmarks that I recognized, but it isn't like loudly, explicitly Toronto in the way that something like Scott Pilgrim is where you know that that's where it's set and it's not shy about it. And I really love that Turning Red was that as well. Yeah. And in like a Pixar world too. Yeah. Yes, it's like the cutest version of Toronto I've ever seen. Toronto yeah. doesn't actually look that like clean and pretty and bright all the time. No. <laughs> or ever, maybe.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, so there's, I mean, story-wise, there's so much to unpack with this, with this movie. I was thinking about how when this movie came out and people were talking about it and like a lot of the headline was just about like it's about a girl like enter period and do you remember that where like yep and then you watch it and you're like what <laughs> like <laughs>
0: how did anyone boil it down to that because sure it's like coming of age and yeah the first thing her mom thinks is that she got her period but it's so much bigger than that yeah and it's very much like a family story like so many of the pixar stories are and like a family legacy story and a family like healing story and to watch that movie and be like, mm, it's about a girl in her period is like so reductive. Yeah. Like even if you're positioning the red panda as a metaphor for a period, it's still reductive and wrong.
1: Yeah. I feel like we have to mention like food real quick. Um, oh, in this yeah. movie, and how beautiful Mae's dad's cooking is—that whole scene. It's
0: and how like lovingly treated it is. Yeah. Like it's acknowledged as like food is a, such an important thing to this family, and yeah. her dad is taking that responsibility on with such passion and such care. It's funny because so much of the early like there was the early backlash against the movie where critics were like, "I can't connect with this." And by critics, I say white men. Mm -hmm. Um, We're like, this isn't my experience. I can't connect with this. This is Mm -hmm. like so specific and so niche. And Mm -hmm. then everybody else who isn't a white man was like, what are you talking about? You don't have to be a Chinese girl from Toronto to understand what this movie is trying to say and to connect with something like the food or being a 13 year old or loving a boy band or whatever. Like there are so many pieces, let alone the like, really complicated mother-daughter piece at the center mm-hmm. that is like you don't have to be exactly this person or from this background or have had these exact experiences to see something of yourself or to connect with something in this movie and like even yeah. something as simple as the food is such an easy way in for people
1: yeah you want to talk about niche like ratatouille is niche as fuck as well <laughs> like please you want you yeah. So like, please don't <laughs> t- tell me about specific. And I, I hope that, you know, with Pixar kind of looking at highlighting all these different stories outside of what they've, they've been doing. And and I hope that they bring diversity to the food that they depict in, in their movies as well, um, yeah. because they do it so well, again, like with Ratatouille specifically, because it's so food centric with that one, like, you know, there's that moment of Colette, like, break um crunching the the baguette Mm. um and you know you can smell it you can hear it you can feel it and there's so many other ways that you can do that with different types of food and i hope that pixar brings more of that in food specifically because like you said it is such a easy way into connecting with different things that are outside of your own experience so but overall where where does this movie stand for you with like you know all the pixar movies that we've talked about so far and we love so many of them
0: oh I mean, I so appreciate it for what it is. I think that it did a really great job at balancing this idea of Maylin like, wanting to be who she is and wanting to be able to, like, grow into her own person. And, like, she loves her friends. I love the relationship between her and her friends and how genuinely they appreciate and care for each other. And she just wants the freedom to be able to be that person. But she's never trying to, like, dismiss or put her family away. She still, you can see it, how much she loves and respects her mom. And like she, she's never turning her back on her family. And I really, really loved the care that they took to balance those things, to say like you don't have to choose between like growing up and becoming a person and making friends and living your life, staying with your family unit. We talked about the balance
1: thing um, when we, back in the episode when we talked about uh, Benda like Beckham. Yes. So if anyone hasn't <laughs> listened to that episode yet. <laughs> And go back, <laughs> um, honoring your family and culture, but also how do you keep being yourself and keep growing as a person and as an individual mm-hmm. as well? That's separate from your family and your culture too. Especially mm-hmm. you know, as an immigrant child, and may exposed to so many different things that her parents, her mom and dad didn't you know go through or be exposed mm-hmm. to. So to have that weight at such a young age is so real and movie really depicted that well there was this line that i liked where she i think she says honoring your parents sounds great but if you take it too far you might forget to honor yourself
0: Yeah, that's a good line. Yeah.
1: Um, I did want to not just steer us to, like, any, like, it's such a feel good. We've been talking about all the positive things, but I just wanted to put in one thing just so we acknowledge something that our friend Hillary and I kind of talked about a bit, and mm. I definitely, like, agreed to some of the things she was saying, so I kind of wanted to share that, too, from, from my perspective, yeah. but we were kind of talking about, like, the change and growth that her mom goes through at the very end as lovely and beautiful as it was that like you know I definitely cried from that but it was very sudden and Mm. you know because she's so intense through the whole movie (laughs) um it's the the intensity um and the way she's so manipulative is so relatable. It's so, yeah, just like I see myself in the way May is like, mom's number one, everything that mom says is right, and I need to live up to that. And Mm. that really toxic manipulation kicks in, and like, it's so, so hyper intense. And so for that to be the majority of the movie. And then all of a sudden, she goes through this like change and really right at the end felt like a disconnect, I think, most mm-hmm. mostly for Hillary was talking about that. But I I, under, I had totally understood that as well. And so on that specific piece, nothing about May and her mom is a journey together. They're like right. so far apart for most of the movie. Um, The way that May's mom surrendered herself to meet where May is at the end felt a little too soon um, for her and her journey. But um, I think, yeah, I think like Hillary and I were just like, no, Asian moms would never get to that point, which is like, (laughs) you don't. And so...
0: That's so fair. And I think that that's one of the hard things that like this has to tackle as a movie. Like this has to be sort of a self-contained story that you need to reach some kind of conclusion and like you can't. I think that it would be really hard for a Pixar movie to be like, oh, well, like, This relationship is going to stay strained for the rest of your lives, which is like probably so much more true to life than anybody really wants to admit. And I think this this really falls into that sort of category of millennials working through their family trauma in movies Mm -hmm. like we were talking about earlier. And I think because it is in a Pixar movie, there has to be that like coming back together and like resolution, which is not necessarily true to life and I totally see where it feels rushed and, like, unrealistic. Mm -hmm. It's really unfair to expect that every Chinese girl is going to feel seen by this movie, Mm -hmm. because not every Chinese girl is having the same experience. Not every Chinese girl has the same kind of mom. Like, to not be able to relate to all of the specifics of this movie is also completely fair, and, like, nobody is going to have this exact journey, not only because it involves a literal red panda, right? (laughs) Like, I think that there's um, a lot of room for nuance within it which also means that there's a lot of room for things to not feel relatable and not feel like a good representation of your own experience yeah and so yeah I definitely understand where you and Hillary are coming from with that yeah but
1: overall I I feel like again personally this this was you know a, a Pixar movie and it did its best to, like, capture as much as it can. Um, and I think it did, and it was it was really sweet. And not all movies have to capture all those nuances, like you said. And mm. marginalized experiences are about trauma and, and mm. living with that trauma. But I think it's also really important to have the space to um, see, like, a beautiful ending, that turning red. Provided, mm-hmm. I also felt this way about everything, everywhere, all at once as well. The whole time, I was like, I, I can like cry thinking about this, but like I, <laughs> I was like, I wish that I could have this kind of like ending or relationship or like where it where it landed at the end. Not like I don't want to spoil mm-hmm. anything for. It. I mean, you can't really spoil this movie. Like it's just so much. But there's so much. Yeah. yeah. But there was part of me that was like, oh, I'm so jealous. Um, And I feel that way about Turning Red as well, where I'm just like, oh, I'm so jealous that they got to this point. But I'm also not like, you know, this is unrealistic because life is so much harder. Like, no, I think it's still so beautiful to be able to see that in movies like this. And like everyone's talking about it and... Like, I know that, um, I think, uh, Stephanie, the actor from Everything Everywhere All, All at Once was talking about how awesome mm-hmm. it is for, like, um, you know, our generation to be, like, sharing it with their parents and getting their parents to watch it. Like, that's yeah. just really, that's, like, a whole sort of conversation that, that gets opened up and, and, like, Turning Red is one of those as well. Like, I would love for my mom to watch it, too, and, like, be able to talk about it. And I'm grateful to even be able to have that kind of space with her. Um, over Mm. a Pixar movie like this. It's super great.
0: Yeah, if those things are able to be kind of the way into that conversation for people, that's really special. Yeah.
1: We said that this episode is therapy, right? And we're getting vulnerable (laughs) on the pod today.
0: (laughs) I believe that did come up, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what a journey that was. Yeah. We covered a lot of ground over these two episodes. Basically, like, our whole lives. (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: yeah that was super fun yeah I'm just I feel like I'm in a place where like when your therapist is like so we talked about all these different things what are you feeling now and I'm like
0: Mm,
1: I can't articulate it I I don't know (laughs) I don't uh teach me how to speak (laughs)
0: yeah what what words what words am I supposed to use right now they're all gone I don't have any words left exactly yeah um I can literally see the wheels spinning in yeah. your head.
1: <laughs> I was, I'm just thinking about how it's really nice to be able to, like, take this time through this podcast to be able to reflect on your life the way that we did through these Pixar movies, chronological mm. order. Like, I feel like that's such a rare thing for, for you to be able to, like, sit down and do and dedicate your time towards, and um, I don't know. This is so, like, vague and weird, but, like... I feel I'm really happy with... I'm really happy.
0: (laughs) That's good. I'm glad you're happy. Yeah. It was like there was a lot that going through these movies kind of brought up. Yeah. That you're right. We don't spend a lot of time like sitting down and thinking about the the entire scope of our lives through media in this way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And and the things that that brings up for you. And yeah, it was really interesting to be able to do that. Yeah. Like, no matter,
1: I'm always going to be invested in in what Pixar is going to put out. And, you know, it is a kid's movie, but, like, it's for clearly for adults (laughs) as well. And um, I'm really glad that we, like, we were able to grow up with these movies starting from the first Toy Story to, All the way to now to turning red. And um, Mm -hmm. I feel like we, our generation, like you and I and our age specifically, we grew up the way Pixar grew up and the way they've put out movies. And, you know, if you were a little bit older, a little bit younger and stuff, like it it might be a little bit different
0: of an experience. But um, yeah, but there is still that like interesting progression that we were able to see happen that I think like if you are younger and you're experiencing it for the first time now, and and you sort of look back on what Pixar used to do, mm-hmm. you will get a very good sense of like the difference. But there's still these movies that you can love and appreciate because they still hold up. And if you're older and like maybe you went through this journey with your kids, yeah, um, where like your kids are are the ones who sort of grew up with Pixar, yeah. There's still I think that element of of growth that that you can appreciate and maybe like maybe you attach some of their cultural touchstones to these movies which I think is also really special
1: yeah for sure I think about like some of the animated nostalgic movies like for example for like my mom um she keeps bringing up like Sleeping Beauty and stuff and I think Mm -hmm. there's a separate sort of like generation um and attachment to Disney movies um Mm -hmm. and the way we talked about a bit about how beautiful those were, like hand drawn and stuff, right? Before Pixar came along and did their thing with Toy Story, so um, in that sense, I feel obviously biased, but like lucky <laughs> <laughs> to be able to to have grown up with with something, some of the movies that we, we've talked about and the age that we were in as well.
0: Yeah. On that note, are you going to watch Lightyear?
1: I have to, right? <laughs>
0: I also keep
1: thinking the fact that, like, I mean, can I expose you and say that you have a huge crush crush on um, <laughs> <laughs> on Chris Evans? On Chris Evans, and Chris Evans plays Buzz Lightyear. Um, that keeps popping up in my mind. Is it weird that your crush is playing like this nostalgic animated
0: character? <laughs> um, I feel like I haven't. I haven't seen Lightyear yet. I haven't um I've only watched the trailer like once or twice when mm-hmm. it has been in front of a movie. So I feel like they're they're still very separate in my head. Yeah. But I'm sure watching the like the whole movie like it's it's very clearly his voice. Like yeah. you can if you know what his voice sounds like, you know that's him. Yeah. And so I I don't know what that experience is going to be like for me yeah we'll
1: we'll see like if andrew was playing like some animated character what if andrew familiar- played woody i would be so sexually confused <laughs> i'd be so i'd be so uncomfortable
0: i'm i would not be okay <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't want that. Oh, no. <laughs> Dear Pixar, please cast Andrew Garfield as Woody. No. Just so we can see how this plays out. No,
1: I don't, that's, no. <laughs> it's so, I it feels so wrong. I don't know. I don't, I don't like it. I don't know. I'm just so uncomfortable now. I'm like sweating. <laughs>
0: I'm so sorry to put that idea in your head. (laughs) Uh, On that note, was there anything else? Um, I did just want to give a quick shout out. If you have enjoyed this, if you like the exploration of the Pixar universe there is another really great podcast that i would like to recommend they've covered ratatouille in a very different way than we have uh pitting him against Stuart little which I, <laughs> is an episode that i adored um and then they also recently covered turning red as part of a horny cinema double feature um so shout out to the podcast film hags who uh, are delightful and have really done some interesting stuff with these Pixar movies. So go check them out. Amazing. Um, and if you have anything that you want to say about Pixar, we would absolutely love to hear it. Um, we clearly went on a little bit of an emotional journey here. So please share your emotional journeys with us as much as you would like to. Yes. Um, you know where you can find us. We are at Soup on Instagram and Soup at gmail.com and at pop martini soup on twitter. So give us a shout and let us know what you thought. Yeah. So next time we're we're as promised,
1: we're going into summer, so we're back on the not back on that. We're we're starting the summer theme. Um, yes. so I'm excited about that as it's beautiful here. Hopefully it's beautiful wherever you're listening from as well. Um, and we're going to we're going to get
0: you in the in the summer mood. Oh yeah, I am very much looking forward to like there is not much that is more quintessentially summer than the topic we are covering on our next episode. So, I'm very excited about it. Yeah. We were on a
1: trip for these past two episodes. We're going on another very different scorching summer trip on the next one too. Lots to look forward to. Yeah. Okay, I think that's it. Bye. <laughs> Bye.